All right, all right. Stop the music. We got a lot to get to today. It's a long one, but it's a good one. Great news. We have found a way to break through the doldrums of the longest college basketball offseason to date. Yes, welcome in. Let's do the business. Let's get to the news, and then I will bring in our guest. Yes, we have a guest. It is Eric Chenoweth, former Jayhawk legend, kind enough to join the show and talk about, really, all sorts of topics. I really peppered him, and he did a great job, so I want to get to that interview as quickly as possible. Believe in Jayhawks basketball program. I am Jonas Nordman on the Believe Podcast Network, your number one podcast network for professionals. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And what I believe is we have ourselves an excellent interview. Eric Chenoweth is right around the corner. Appreciate everybody listening at Jonas N310. If you want to react, if you want to send me any questions, perhaps for a follow-up interview, or if you just want to ask me or, or tell me, man, you really butchered that, but I think you're going to love the stuff that, that Eric has to say. Uh, it's, we really got in depth. We had a lot going on. So without further ado, here is Eric Chenoweth. All right, let's bring him in. He is the big man in the middle, a four-year player at the University of Kansas, a thousand-point scorer, which generally means that you've had a great career collegiately. And he was he was a rebounding machine, eleventh all-time in Big Twelve rebounds. And also, if you went to the paint, you're getting swatted. This guy is sixth in Big Twelve blocks, 1999 All Big Twelve, a McDonald's All-American, also a Villa Park Spartan, as I mentioned earlier high school alumni and he eventually got drafted by the new york knickerbockers welcome in to the believe in jayhawks basketball program former kansas center eric chenoweth eric thanks so much for joining how are you i'm good thanks jonas appreciate you having me on oh thanks for joining us appreciate it <laughs> uh, i think right off the bat the people want to know what you've been up to uh it's been not just basketball. Uh, the people can, of course, do a quick Google search, but it's always better from your own words. So how have things gone since uh, you left the campus in Lawrence? Well, that was almost 20 years ago, so a lot's <laughs> happened since then. Uh, you know, I uh, obviously went on and started playing professionally, played professionally eight, for eight years, you know, in and out of uh, NBA training camps, overseas, D-League, what have you. Um, hung them up in 08, got into coaching for a couple of years, uh, quickly learned that that's a lifestyle path and not a career path. And so, mm. uh, shut that down and then got into the insurance industry in, uh, uh, 2012 and, uh, joined a really prestigious firm in Beverly Hills about, uh, around that time. And then two years ago, ventured off and started my own firm, um, about in, going on two years, uh, July of 2020. So <clears throat> things going well, business is really good. Um, we got married in September of 2015. I did my, I have a three-year-old son nice. who was born in February 17. So, um, yeah, life, life's, uh, very good right now. Future Jayhawk or is he going to stay there? You're in Southern California, correct? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I joke with him all the time because well, my wife all the time, because, you know, I, I was on campus at Stanford, um, a couple of years ago speaking at their spring football game. And I told my, I called my wife on campus and said, my son's going here. I don't care what, anybody <laughs> says and then jared Hass gets the job and i told him that joke and he he likes it too because he you know obviously played at ku right before i did and so uh i think uh stanford's our goal but we'll uh you know for academics but if he's a, a stud basketball player you know 
it'd be great to see him, you know, play in the field house for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard that Stanford school is decent when it comes to the books <laughs> and libraries. Yeah. Yeah. Although when people ask me where but my alma mater was, I like to tell them it is the Stanford of the Plains, but a little bit different. I, well, I say it's the Harvard of Lawrence, Kansas. So that's a fair point. <laughs> narrows it down. So <laughs> speaking with Eric Chenoweth, of course, we're in sort of a weird time. How has you're a businessman? You work in the business world. How has this age of Corona been for you? Just both personally, professionally, however you want to go about it. Well, personally, it's it's been tough having a three-year-old who loves to go out and play with his friends and mm. swim with our neighbors and do all those different things that three-year-olds are supposed to be doing, which have been restricted, obviously, by our um, um, lack of a brain governor uh, in California. But that's another. But it's been tough on him. It's been tough on my wife. You know, I I would have an office that I go to every day, but then I was home um, working at the house March, April, May. Um, and so it, it was, you know, tough being, you know, we have a decent sized home, but it was still hard to be at home. And, you know, um, with Cooper wanting to play when I'm, when daddy's got to work. So it was a tough time. Um, <clears throat> but we're healthy, you know, um, thankfully about, about that. Um, just, just getting through this, you know, as a family, but then, you know, professionally wise, you know, um, obviously, like I said, I started my own business two years ago and, was you know the first part of the year where it has a lot of steam going with college football coming up and so we do a lot right. of policies on that and so you know we had a lot and i hired my first employee uh in in february as well too so we had him up and running we were rolling and then we got hit with corona so uh we all just worked from home and luckily with technology and zoom obviously you know we could get by but um you know june 1st i decided we we're going to go you know I needed to get back in the office with, you know, nobody's around my office. So I'm fine with that, but, sure. um, you know, been very, very busy since June with, you know, guys reporting back to the bubble and then, you know, college athletes going back to school. And so it's been very, very busy the last two months, which I'm very, very thankful for, obviously. Yeah. Better to be busy than otherwise as the case for a lot of people, I'm sure. Um, you mentioned it, you played overseas a good amount of time. I think it was France, right? Did I see Costa Rica? Is that right? Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico? Played, yeah. My Central first, America. My, yeah. My rookie year, I played uh, in France uh, with a very good team. Uh, they picked me up towards the end of the season. We actually won the French Cup, um, which was uh, mm. was the first time that the franchise was around forever. I think they was the first time they did it in 60 years. So that was, you know, a uh, good experience. Um, not a huge fan of, of Europe. I just, you know, growing up in Orange <laughs> County and I just love it here learning a lot. And so, you know, played over different places, played in Puerto Rico. It was a great league, you know, games every other night, small, hot gyms. So uh, fun league. Uh, was in Argentina for about a month, was <laughs> in some pretty meager living situations. So I got out of there. I was in China for a little bit, um, uh, you know, you know, communist country. You know, it was a different part of the world. I played sure. in uh, Korea. Korea was great. Very nice people were over there. Um, and then I played in the Philippines for a little bit as well, too. But, um, yeah, definitely got a lot of stamps in my passport. But, um, you know, I, I would have rather been playing in the NBA the whole time. But um, there were some sure. nice deals that I had to had to go take and um, had to pay the bills. So they, were, they all worked out. 
I think I read that Rick Pitino, as he was coaching over in Greece the last year or two, he was saying that he couldn't believe how much the fans were smoking inside the arena. Um, and that's something I could totally see being the case in France. Is that tr- Is that the uh, case? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. So I, I played for a team in um, – the team I played for in China was owned by – and I told the story on the Believe Network's uh, Corey Paz's story for UCLA football. But I, I told this – so the owner of my team owned – uh, or owns um, YYK zippers. So if you look at the, your your jeans or your your pants now, you look at it, okay. it will say YYK. Every zipper in the world's made there. He's a multi-billionaire. Okay. And so we we had this beautiful state-of-the-art arena, and he had uh, a son that was, I think, 17 years old and um, dressed exactly like what a Backstreet, Backstreet Boy would dress like. I think he had a Lamborghini. And he would sit on the end of our bench and chain smoke cigarettes during the game <laughs> because nobody could say a word to him. He would then come in the locker room during halftime and listen and smoke cigarettes. Um, so that was my only experience with smoke actually in the gym. But um, uh, in France, they we had I had a teammate who used to smoke cigarettes during the game. So when he got subbed out, he would go wow. to the locker room and smoke cigarettes. So, yeah. Um, not, I've never been a fan of smoking and it's, it bothers me if I even get a tiny whiff, you know, while working out. So, uh, yeah, to each his own now. Oui, oui. Uh, speaking <laughs> with Eric Chenoweth, if you want some more information, cause we are going to get into basketball. This is the believe in Jayhawks basketball program. After all, if you want more information on what Eric's doing these days, uh, I talked about it with him off air, but great piece written about Eric by Bruce Feldman, the excellent college, uh, writer journalist in the athletics. So go look that up. It'll give you a better idea of what's going on. But I brought up the international play. What's the feeling? I mean, for any student, high school, college, athletes, anyone right now, it's sort of a tough situation. And a lot of guys make their careers going overseas. Is that even a viable possibility right now uh, for players who aren't going to go to the NBA uh, to play overseas? Yeah. In fact, I'm working with a couple um, athletes playing overseas right now that need disability insurance. And so hmm. one just signed a deal making 200,000 a month in China. The other one just signed a deal in Greece making, I think he's making upwards of 75,000 a month. So hmm. I, I'm seeing guys sign contracts still, um, you know, we'll see what happens. And normally guys report in mid, mid, uh, August, um, but, you know, until, until they say don't come over here, the guys are signing contracts and preparing and planning to go over there. Interesting. All yeah. right. I, I actually was expecting you to say, no, no one can, you know, leave our borders. But that's good to know that guys are still getting their careers. Okay. Let's talk basketball. Let's talk specifically Kansas Jayhawks basketball. Simple question here, but they just came off a dominant season that got cut short. Uh, your initial takeaways, which we can go from, on the team that just wrapped up their season? You know, it's, it's interesting. Every March we go into March saying, okay, you know, we got a chance to win, right? Like, oh, yeah. you know, we, we have a fighting chance. Like I see this team going to the final four, what have you this year, more than this past year, more than I've ever seen in the past 25 years, I've really followed Kansas basketball. It was like Kansas and everybody else. I and mean, if you looked at it, there was like, we were the clear cut number one seed. Like this was our year, like to be, the number one seed and then everybody else was kind of kind of scrambled to, to, to get the other number one seeds. Um, so I really felt really good about our team, our depth, obviously our coaching staff and 
Um, you know, I think we're going to go through St. Louis um, again, you know, stay, or Kansas City staying close. Um, it's really too bad because, you know, this team was starting to gel and peak at the right time and coming together. And I, they were, you know, tough team that won some big road games. I mean, every, they had every different thing you'd want in a recipe to put a team together. Um, it's just too bad that everything got shut down. But, you know, again, every year we think we can win it. I think this year more than any other year, I think it was, it was us and everybody else. Yeah, they would have started in Omaha. I know that for sure. Okay, so, Omaha, yeah. So. And then the regional was somewhere close. Um, yeah. Actually, I think it was between like Indianapolis and Houston and no, geographic. It doesn't matter. It, it got mm-hmm. robbed from us. Um, yeah. You are a guy who you know, earned everything as a professional athlete, as a collegiate athlete, a guy who started his own business, uh, made that career pivot. KU was number one in the AP poll. They were number one in the coaches poll. Statistically, um, Ken Pomeroy, they were number one. They would have been number one in the net rankings, except Gonzaga had a chance to play their West Coast tournament, and so they ended up number one. Do you think it would have been fair? Do you agree that maybe they should just award this national title to the Jayhawks of 2020? No, I mean... (laughs) Me as a former player, I wouldn't really accept that'd be nice yeah hey thank you for some notoriety but i i wouldn't feel right about putting a ring on for that you know i think in any true competitor or you know i can't speak for anybody else but i just know that like i'm only gonna you know be proud about a banner i put on the up in the stands is something that i put up there you know sure. it's not gonna be something like you know you look at like college football back in the day they used to vote for it to see who is the national champion you know, whatever. And I think if we even look way back in the fifties of it with the helms, uh, yes. we, we have to look into that. They used to vote for it before the tournament. I, that, that's, I should be a better historian about that as well too. But um, no, I, 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 unless we go out and win, you know, the six games to put the banner up, I, I, I don't know if I could really hang my hat on it. That's fair. And Hey, yeah. that's why I'm asking you. That's the perspective <laughs> of, a, of a former player. It's easy for me to, yeah. you know, to bloviate behind a microphone saying, Oh, number one and everything doesn't matter anyways. Mm-hmm. But you no, know, when you're in that locker room and you're earning everything, it's a different story. We are speaking with Eric Chenoweth, former Jayhawk thousand point score, former great defensive offensive center. Eric, how would you have liked to have banged down low with Yudoka Azabuki? <laughs> <laughs> Ladder in his career better because he was uh, he he actually shed some pounds, but right. um, that dude was is very well put together, very strong. Um, you know, if if I was going to have to play against him, I'd get my work done early and get him off the block early. I, I, I watched it all year. Guys would just let him run right down the the key and get catch, you know, a rim catch and finish around the rim. If I was going to play against him, I'd you know start chesting him up at the free throw line and then kind of walking him out to the, to the NBA block opposed to letting him get to the, the college block. I just, I would just sit back and watch like, you know, how, why are people letting this guy go wherever he wants to go? But loved him as a player, love him as a young man. Um, you know, his shot blocking ability, his, his ability to finish around the rim is fantastic. Um, I would have, I would have loved to work with him on his free throws. 
Um, I actually, one thing I did do well at KU, I think I was 88% one year. So you were, um, I could make free throws, but, um, cause I knew it was my only chance to score. There was a lot of good scores on our team. So I knew if I was on the line, I was going to better make those things. And then, uh, but again, you know, he is so much more athletic and better put together physically than me, but a uh, great player loved watching him for four years. Give yourself more credit. I think you're what, like a 13 point score your sophomore year. And, and like, I think I saw your career numbers free throw wise were like in the seventies, which for a big yeah. man, pretty excellent. Yeah. I, I, again, yeah, it was my chance to score. I think it, it's interesting. It might've changed, but I, I, I think our old SID Dean Buckin told me that I think there was only three players to ever average a double, double in the big 12, uh, which was Wilt Chamberlain or at Kansas player. I think it was Wilt Chamberlain, Ray LaFrance, and myself. And now that needs to be fact-checked. I'm not positive <laughs> about that. But I, but I think during the Big 12 play, I averaged a double-double. I remember that. And I don't know if any other Kansas big men, you know, big eight, whatever. We'd have to look into it. I could be wrong. I, but I, and I think it might have been Danny Manny maybe. But I know Ray for sure and obviously Will. But we'd have to look into that. Yeah. We'll just we'll go with him. Uh, you, mentioned, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned Udoka's blocks. And coming from a guy who – only has five names ahead of him on the Big 12 list in terms of career blocks. A lot of them Kansas Jayhawks, by the way, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, mm-hmm. Talking about the lineage of KU big men that you're a part of. You, you talked about a little bit how Yudoka could get wherever he wanted, but as a big man yourself who has fought down there in the trenches, what were the details of Azubuki's game that impressed you the most? He was great in the pick and roll. I mean, I, I, the <laughs> way he would, you know... Uh, release from the screen and, and get to the rim and we had guards that threw really good alley-oop passes to him so we saw a lot of finishes like that where um all he do was kind of get up and finish his footwork improved a lot um later on um, in his career obviously he had the the wrist injuries you know for two years so yeah. that you know limited his development a, a little bit when he but when he was healthy and was able to you know get the ball one-on-one on the block he had a really good chance of scoring he had some really good you know, up and over, up and under moves. Um, but again, he was so big and strong that like, you know, he's going to back down anybody. So a lot of times the guards would dig down on double down on him to try to get him to kick out, which a lot of times, if you notice, he would kick it out and then immediately go out to a, a ball screen for a pick yeah. and roll and get the ball right back and either finish after a jump stop or an alley-oop. So um, again, like, you know, he is so well put together and so athletic Um you know, he, he could do whatever he wanted, you know, inside the key. It's, it's interesting that the first thing you brought up was his play in the pick and roll. Cause you just think of him as this big lumbering center. Right. Um, but that, that speaks to its quickness of his feet and, and mobility. So uh, I actually found that fascinating that that's the first thing you brought up. Uh, you're also a big man who went through, you know, the process of going to the NBA or, or playing professionally at the very least. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting and it's a different era. And so, how does Yudoka, I guess this is the multi-million dollar question, how does Yudoka fit into today's NBA? He is projected as a second-round pick, which I think is mm-hmm. big news as already. Well, it's interesting. The, the, the center position is not even a ballot on the All-Star game anymore. So right. you can see the NBA is moving away from the center position. I think I just saw a quote from De- like DeAndre Ayton on the Suns talking about how they're trying to get rid of the big man. But, you know, but there's still – big men in the NBA that need to be reckoned with like Joel Embiid and, and, you know, obviously DeAndre Ayton and, um, you know, there's some star uh, big guys that, 
are changing the NBA. I just saw Jaron Jackson yesterday in a highlight shoot a trail three. He's seven feet tall, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you're looking at the drafts coming up. There's a good seven-footer potentially in the 2021 draft. You know, if if it if the if the a seven-foot big man is utilized correctly, it, it can be invaluable because if it's done correctly, it's un, it's unguardable. If you if you got a a bigger guy against a little little smaller defender in the post, there's a good chance they're gonna score. So for Doke, you know, I, I could see him being an energy guy coming off the bench and giving spurts of times, you know, two to three minutes here, four or five minutes there of coming off the bench, blocking shots, um, you know, moving your weight around, getting some good hard fouls on the key, um, you know, just being a tone setter uh, more than anything. If it turns into something more than that and he gets an expanded role, then that's great. Um, but I could just, you know, I could see a lot of value in him coming off the bench and, and, and utilizing his size to to send a message. Yeah, could you imagine that that small ball Rockets lineup dealing with like a beast like Yudoka? I know PJ Tucker's strong, um, but that's a different animal in Yudoka. Yeah, yeah I, exactly. I mean, but but then again, it's it's difficult because who does he guard? On the yeah, small defensively. Ball? You know, sure. that's that's what makes it difficult. So, uh, but with the, the the NBA rules they put in about twenty years ago when I was first starting to play professionally is you know, you can, you don't have to be hugging up to your man so you can help off. He can get a lot of help, but um, you know, if it's a shooting team, you got to make shooters drivers. And if they're a driving team, you got to make drivers shooters. So, um, you know, it's, it, again, you can't hide on the defensive end. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's sort of the, <laughs> the 180. Where do you go from there? Um, speaking with Eric Chenoweth, who's been very gracious to spend some time with us here and believe in Jayhawks basketball program. I mentioned the great lineage of Kansas centers and Kansas big men. Is there anyone since you've played that sort of stuck out that really, that you loved watching play in terms of Kansas well, when, big men? When Joel indeed was healthy. I mean, that was phenomenal watching him play. I mean, sure. I, I, it, there's a couple of highlights when he caught the ball on a break in the trail and took off one foot, one hand, like right inside the free throw line it was one of my favorite plays I've seen him play. Um, and then, you know, recently after when I, finished playing it was great watching you know drew gooden and nick collison i mean they were obviously all americans and you know their numbers are hanging up in the belt in the black the, the bleachers um you know love cole aldrich uh mm-hmm. um you know any you know big guy that that holds it down in the key i mean i'm gonna support him and love watching him now probably one of my favorite players now is mitch lightfoot he wears number 44 good kid from one you know he's from kansas city and if anytime I want, you know, I saw him in Maui. Uh, I was out there for the Invitational last year, and he's come back to say hello for a little bit, which meant a lot to me. Um, you know, but um, you know, I, the list goes on and on of, of of all the guys that we've had, and you know, it looks like we're reloading again, which is awesome too. So um, I'll tell you, anybody that you know puts on a Kansas jersey, I'm going to support him 100. percent Well, let's quickly move because you brought up Lightfoot. And you talked about reloading. So I want to make this, you know, easy transition, if you will. Yudoko leaves that gaping hole in the middle. Uh, what have you seen from David McCormack that leaves you confident and that he'll be able to take over the responsibilities? As well as what have you heard about the transition for Mitch Lightfoot? I, I read in, a, again, an athletic article that he's trying to expand his game, trying to be a more of a pick-and-pop kind of guy. I don't know mm-hmm. what you've heard or seen in behind closed-door practices. Um, talk about that pivot and the, the front line for Kansas next year. 
Yeah, well, it's funny. You can work on whatever you want and develop whatever you want. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's whatever sure. Coach Self says. So you can shoot a million jump shots over the summer thinking you're going to be a mid-range jump shooter. But if Coach says we're not doing that, then you're not going to be doing that. So Fair. Uh, it's always good to work <laughs> on your game and improve yourself as a player. But um, at the end of the day, it all comes down to, you know, what what coach is going to run, whether it's the, um, you know, the high ball handoff or the, the high or the, the high low game or, you know, whatever he wants to implement. One thing I love about coach is he's always been able to adjust based on his personnel to a certain, not, he doesn't sell out completely, but he stays to his core, but he also, you know, uh, if he's got three good guards, he's going to find a, a system that works best for them to, to highlight their ability to sell. But I mean, this year, I think this year, hangs on Marcus Garrett. I mean, I think it's his, it's, mm-hmm. it's his year. He's a senior. Uh, he's played again. He's played behind some tremendous guards the, the past, you know, couple of years, including Devontae Graham. And, um, and so, you know, and he's, it, it, you know, lack for a better term, I think he's waited his turn. You know, there, there's been, you know, two all American guards ahead in the past couple of years. Um, I've heard he's been really working on his jump shot. He's going to need to score for us, um, but I think he's going to be our senior leader, the, you know, the court general, the quarterback, whatever you want to call it. But I think it's he's he's going to be the man this year, and it's going to be his team. Um, I think we're going to have. <clears throat> yeah, I hope Christian Braun continues to shoot well. Yeah, um, great spark for us to to get. You know, if we're if we're getting three to four threes from him, that's that's a huge bonus for us. Um, you know, Sylvia D'Souza, it'd be really interesting to see you know, how much his game turns the corner, um, you know, development wise, it's amazing to see how much guys get better from the end of a season until the next season and that off season and see what they work on. Um, I think he, his game just needed a little bit of polish. Um, and, yeah. you know, again, I think coach is going to put him in six, you know, situations to be successful. And then obviously, you know, David McCormick, huge part of the puzzle, um, you know, very athletic. He's gotten so much better the past couple of years, you know, and it's interesting. You see it a lot with kind of coach self and I, I don't want to speak for him, but from what I take away, it seems like he, he breaks guys down and builds them back up where, you know, you come in, you, you did some great things in high school. Great. We don't care. <laughs> we need you to do this or that, you know? And so, um, you know, and so he's obviously his body's phenomenal. He's, stronger he's he's had some incredible putback dunks which shows athletics athleticism um and so can it be a situation where he becomes a even better pick and roll guy like Doak was or is he going to be a guy that when he gets the ball in the post one-on-one is he going to be able to make moves before the double team comes what have you but for the most part you know we need him to be a defensive rebounder and you know a shot blocker to to protect the key on defense um and then obviously you know, the crowd favorite, everybody's favorite, you know, Mitch Lightfoot, yep. you know, just knowing him, I think he's going to do whatever is best for the team. He's such a, so much of a team guy. I mean, he registered last year when it was supposed to be his senior year. That shows how unselfish he is. Um, and so, you know, I, this team has all the tools, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the newcomers do fitting in, um, you know, if they're going to compete for, you know, time or what have you but again uh, it's it's marcus garrett's team it's we're it's we're gonna go how he goes and everybody's gonna kind of follow in behind them and I'm, I'm really excited to see marcus have a year where you look at all the you know the guards in the past with you know graham mason taylor um, um sharon like all these guards that have 
when they get their chance to be their their, their year, yeah. that's what this is going to be for Marcus. And I, I just really am going to be excited to see him step into that role and be the leader and take this team um, for a long run. There you have it. That's breaking it down scientifically with Eric Chenoweth. Uh, I've said it here on these airways, well, on these recordings, that for my money, as far as I can remember, I believe Marcus Garrett's the best defensive player that in the Bill Self era. I know that's tough comparing him to different positions like Jeff Withy and when you're locking down down low, but I thought maybe Travis Relliford, you know, Russell Robinson, Mario Chalmers, what they did on the perimeter, but I don't know, in terms of versatility, quick hands, for my money, I, I thought Marcus Garrett is the best defensive player of the Bill Self era. Call me crazy, Eric. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, you're not crazy. I'll, I'll take that. I mean, I think I think Frank Mason was fantastic on the ball. I think I think Devontae Graham was fantastic on the ball. You mentioned some other guys too. Um, but he's got another year left. So mm-hmm. you know, if he's if he's he gonna be Big Twelve defensive player of the year, you know, what have you. And so uh, defense you know, to being a, a good defensive guard has been a strong point the past few years as a complimentary player. And so um, he's going to get a chance to play on both ends. And so, um, yeah, he's a phenomenal defender. And so if he wins the big 12, you know, defensive player of the year for this season, then obviously that would be a second time. So that, that would be put him in that, in that standpoint. So, yeah. which I'm sure coach is proud about because every coach loves defense. Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> you know, that KU can score 100 points, and they ask Bill Self, what do you think of the game? Well, I thought we stunk defensively. Yeah, um, exactly. Speaking with Eric Chenoweth, I actually, because I'm an intrepid reporter, crowdsourced <laughs> uh, this, this next question. This, this comes from Andy in the KC area, and he wanted me to ask you, and uh, you know, this is interesting for me as well because I'm a Southern California native also who went to KU. So he wanted to know, how come so many guys from California went to KU during the Roy era, which applies to you also? Uh, obviously, Kansas tradition is one thing, but UCLA is right here in everybody's backyard. Uh, and I think I counted it out. I think including yourself during your time at Kansas, you played with uh, four others. So five kids from California were at Kansas. Uh, what was about Roy Williams and the Golden State? Well, at the time, so I graduated high school in 97 in that, you know, the early to mid nineties, there was a lot of good players from Southern California and, um, coach Williams just took it upon himself to, to be a national recruiter. He was, you know, at Carolina before. So you kind of want to stick on the East coast, trying to feel like you can get those guys. Well, being re- located in the, in the, in Kansas, in the Midwest, you're a three hour flight either way. And so I think he just he saw some really talented players and it kind of just started, he turned into like this thing where he was getting guys. I think the, the first guy he got from Southern California was Adonis Jordan. I could be wrong, but Adonis was one of the first California guys. And then, you know, Jock Vaughn. And then it was Scott Pollard. And then it was, um, you know, Paul Pierce. And then I guess it was me after that, but it was funny, you know, in recruiting, they used to send, I used to get a FedEx letter every single day from Kansas, you know, whether it's one of the coaches on the staff saying, you know, hope you're doing well, here's the stat, you know, whatever. We saw this article, you know, something every single day. And they used to send this one every few months where it was like, follow the yellow brick road to Kansas from California. And they showed like all the players from California that went to play at KU, you know? And so, um, and also too, like I, for me, I always wanted to play at KU. Like I was a huge fan of Danny Manning and like, you know, I knew about Allen Fieldhouse. And then like the first time I 
actually took an unofficial visit and in my junior year and I went in the field house and I'm like, this is it. We're where, what, like it's this arena and everybody else after that, you know? And so uh, watching the games on TV, I knew what kind of an atmosphere it was. And so I wanted to go there and I wanted to have that true, you know, college experience, you know? So USC basketball wasn't, you know, didn't, they were playing at the sports arena <laughs> in LA. It wasn't the real college field. You know, USC is a great school and I had a ton of friends that went there. UCLA basketball, you know, they were phenomenal in the seventies. They won the championship in 95 and Seattle that actually went to um, just didn't get along with their players. It was, you know, I, I mean, you know, I got along with them. Hey, how are you? But they were, you know, I, I, we, we had personality differences, so I wasn't going to fit in there. And so, you know, visited Arizona and all these different Duke, all these different places. And at the end, I was just like, I want to go play Kansas and, you know, play in the, run the secondary break and catch the alley about the secondary break and follow Scott Pollard and Rafe and, you know, do that thing. And so, um, you know, and again, obviously you've been to a game and now for that house, once you see a game there, you're like, what, what are we, this isn't even close. Like I'm going to play here. And now going back, watching games there, I can't believe I actually played at that level at one point in my life, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's nothing better. It's, I'll put it up against any any sports arena in the world. I don't care what sport, whatever. Allen Fieldhouse is right there. Well, it's Eric Chenoweth, the guy who would know uh, the different environments and the different places around the world, what it's like to play in the greatest home court advantage in, on the globe. Eric, you've been very generous with your time. I will get you out of here on this. This question is more for me because I just think the comparisons, you know, the college coaches – and I'm not asking you to say who's better, uh, they do this better. But I, for the layman, for the fans out there, such as myself, you played for a Hall of Famer and Roy Williams. You know Bill Self pretty well. You know, for, for the general fan, what's something that we wouldn't notice? What's the differences? What are the similarities maybe that we can't even tell? Because when we watch a Roy Williams Carolina team, it looks like they're running and gunning the whole time <laughs> with, with – mm-hmm. uh, no cares about defense. I know that's not the case, but that's what it appears. And for Bill Self, maybe a little bit different, more of that Big Ten grinded out style. So what, what are the differences? What are the similarities? What's something that maybe we wouldn't notice for the two holes? Well, I'll start with the similarities first. Coach Self and Coach Williams are competitive men. They want to <laughs> win. So I'll, okay. I'll say that. I don't care if they're golfing or coaching basketball. I, I know – a reason why they're so successful is because they are as competitive as anybody you'll ever meet in the entire world. And so with that competitive nature brings a work ethic, which brings experience, which brings knowledge, which brings, you know, which gravitates people that want to play for you. So I'll, I'll say that's their one similarity. The difference is obviously can't, you know, coach Williams, you know, was with coach Smith. And so we ran the, the, the Carolina secondary break and, and then uh, the box offense, B1, B2, B3. And then, you know, I know I still know the offense by the, like the back of my hand. Um, <laughs> awesome. You know, and Coach Williams, you know, he demanded we get after it defensively. Um, we got graded every single game, every single play. I mean, defense was more important than, to him than offense, regardless of what anybody would think watching. Uh, but, yeah, it was more of it. He, he, he wanted to score in the 80s, and he wanted to, you know, out – outrun teams and get easy baskets he wanted to keep the the play to be honestly he would talk about keeping the play exciting he's like i want to play 
a brand of basketball that people want to freaking watch. I remember him saying that. And so, so he thought it was more, yeah, he, he thought it was more fun to get the ball out of bounds, you know, run it up primary break. If you don't have it, go secondary break, um, <clears throat> move the ball and, and take open shots. You know, Coach Self is saying, you know, very defensive minded, uh, you know, has all the same, everybody kind of has the same strategies with help side and those different, you know, ball denial, those different things. Uh, one thing I do love about Coach Self on the defensive end is he's a lot more innovative than your more traditional guy. I remember I was at the Kentucky game when he put a triangle and two in yes. and Coach Calipari put his hands up like, I don't know what the hell these guys are running. And so <laughs> I do remember ended, that. It, it helped us win the game, you know, because he put in a triangle too, you know. Um, and so, and then on offensively, like I said earlier, you know, the, the, the dribble handoff at the top of the key with the three guard weave, mm-hmm. um, you know, he would talked about with Larry Brown, how if the ball got to uh, the third side, that's when defenses break down and they get easier baskets. So you, ch- you change the ball one side, second side, third side, by that third time, they're going to be breaking them down and getting easier baskets. And then the high, low offense loved watching that, uh, Love it. Love you know, that. um, you know, Cole Aldridge guy we talked about earlier did it really, really well. Uh, there's a dozens of other guys that have done it well too. Um, so it's a lot more of a half court oriented thing, obviously, you know, I, I have never seen them put in a secondary break. They always have a, always have a primary break if they can get an easy basket to start. But if the other team scores, you're going to see them, you know, walking the ball up, getting a play call put together and, and running mm-hmm. a set. And so, and then also to coach self on his under out of bounds and sideline out of bounds is phenomenal. Yeah. It seems like anytime his team needs a basket coming out of halftime, he puts in some magical play that he's had in the back of his head for 40 years or whatever. Uh, you know, he's been fantastic with getting guys a basket coming out of timeouts, what have you. So, uh, you know, uh, again, they're both really competitive, uh, different stylistically and different personalities. Why is way too. I mean, I know with coach Williams, you were not allowed to curse in practice and uh, you know, it, it was a lot, you know, everything that when we traveled that we had an itinerary where every single minute on the road was, was documented and followed. And, you know, if you weren't 15 minutes early to a meeting, you were late and, you know, with, with coach self, I think it's a little, not to say lax, but a little different in that there's, yeah. there, you're allowed to have some vulgarity here and there during practice or even a game or, or even a timeout or in the locker room. And then also to remember I, they were playing UCLA and, and uh and so coach said hey biggie come come you know watch practice we're gonna practice this 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 mansion in bel-air meet us at the w in westwood and ride the bus with us come come hang out i'm like cool so you know i'm like what time is practice he's like ah, i think it's around one i said okay so i'm thinking okay we're gonna leave at least by noon so i left orange county at like 10 to get up there by 11 <laughs> and i'm sitting there and you know, 1130, some of the managers come out, noon rolls around and then guys kind of trickle in and I'm like, when's the bus leave? And they're like, Oh, whenever we get here. And then, you know, we get there and then, um, and then, you know, we get on the bus and I'm sitting next to coach and I'm like, Hey coach, what's the practice plan look like? What are you guys going to go over? He goes, yeah, I think I wrote some stuff down. I think we got (laughs) to, you know, I think we're committing some stupid, uh, foul so we're going to do some uh some drills to not foul so much or, and i'm like you know it's it was actually refreshing because you weren't so regimented you had freedom to think and you had freedom to relax and you had these you know a chance to you know not 
be so regimented and all these different things, which is good for some people and it's bad for some people. I, I think I've learned later on in life that like, it's not as good for me to be regimented. It's, it's not as good as for me to, to constantly try to, you know, be at work at 8 a.m. and leave at four o'clock sharp. Like if I need to go do something or whatever, then that's great. It, it, tr- it translates also to a college basketball team. So um, it obviously his, his formulas worked. I mean, what is it? 16 conference championships and three final fours and mm-hmm. hall of famer. So, you know, there's more than, more than one way to skin a cat and they've both done it differently, but they've both been very successful at it. So, um, you know, I could talk <laughs> for a long time about those, the difference in the two, but I really like coach self I've actually, you know, I don't have a deep relationship with him, but I've had a relationship with him and um, he's done some awesome things for me. And, you know, last summer he organized a team dinner for all the KU guys in, oh, in nice. Las Vegas, the summer league. And so we had about 40 guys there and he's, he's all about KU and former players. And so, I mean, just can't say enough good things about he's done for our program since he's taken over. Well, there's like, 30 more questions I could go off of that, but Eric, you've been far too kind and you've got an empire to run as well. So that is Eric Chenoweth talking Kansas basketball, talking about the world of basketball, talking about the ins and outs, and mostly just really making a positive impact on our program here. Eric, thank you so much. Hope to talk with you a lot more in the future. Of course, rock chalk. And one thing before we go, of course, um, there's a GoFundMe uh, for Scott Ward that people should check out. Scooter is, was our academic advisor oh, yeah, in yeah. Kansas. Uh, very, very well known, very well liked. Everybody loves Scooter. Yep. He's had some uh, recent uh, medical issues again. Um, so go on Facebook or Twitter or what have you. I'm going to tweet it out right now, but um, go on there and give what you can to help with his medical bills that he's going through right now. Um, he is the definition of a Jayhawk. Yes. phenomenal human being and so um i've already given money if anybody can give one dollar two dollars what have you do whatever you can there's a hundred thousand dollar goal um let's succeed it and uh and and help out scooter all right that's a gofundme for scott ward correct is there like a is there like a backslash or anything we can type in i know you're, you're um, going to tweet it it's at eric chenoweth correct yes i'll, I'll tweet it but um it, it it's, it'll be pretty easy to find online if you're if you're looking for it. Perfect. Just look forward to GoFundMe for Scott Ward, or you can go to at Eric Chenoweth. He doesn't combine the C's. It's Eric and then Chenoweth. Um, but other than that, Eric, thanks so much. And uh, like I said, hope to talk with you soon. Of course. Appreciate it. All right. Great stuff there from Eric. Yeah. Got to a lot. Had to slip in that question. Wanted, I really wanted to get the compare and contrast of Roy and Bill, these two legends, these two Kansas legends. Uh, the stuff about playing internationally, fascinating, and really appreciate him giving us the ins and outs of the game of basketball and also what's going on in the world of Eric Chenoweth. I will once again plug the GoFundMe for Scott Ward, for Scooter. This is a guy that gets mentioned every single senior night um, and just epitomizes, like Eric said, what it means to be a Jayhawk. But I will get out of here. Appreciate you listening. Pass the episode around if the people want to hear what's going on with Eric. Or if they just want more info on this past year's team and the team to come in the coming season. And I will say this, as always, Eric said it as well. Rock Chalk.